The Credible Nerds present The Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. Where next? The two rivers. There are rumors of four Taviran there. All the right age. The old blood runs deep in those mountains. Let's hope it's prepared them for what's coming. Welcome, Wheel of Time fans, to the fourth Taviran podcast. My name is Justin, and I have my fellow Taviran with me, Mark. Hey, guys. How's it going? We're glad to be back. We'll be talking about the Wheel of Time show on Amazon Prime. We'll review episode five. We're ready to talk about this show and what it brings to the table as far as the Wheel of Time universe and how it compares to the books, obviously, because that's one of our major fandoms has always been the Wheel of Time books since you know, early 2000s. And so when this show finally was announced and they started casting and releasing tidbits here and there, we were definitely interested. And now that it's here, we can't help but compare it to the books. And we'll we'll try to give it a fair shake. I mean, that's what I like to do is make sure we give the show its due when it's warranted, but also call it out on things that aren't consistent or you know, that match up with the wheel of time, what we know. And I know they've talked about how this is another turning of the wheel and it's not a one-to-one comparison. And I'm fine to some degree with that, but I think in some situations we got to talk about some of the differences, but for you, Mark, um, what are your thoughts? We're about halfway through. We've reviewed episodes one through four up to this point, and that's halfway through the show. How are you feeling overall about the trajectory, the overall feel of the show up to this episode, what we watched so far in episodes one through four. Uh, I think one through four, I mean, we've seen some differences, not like mass, mass, huge differences yet. You know, I'm, I, there's a lot that it brings to the table. I think the cinematography is amazing to bring this world to life. I think that's one of the cool things I've seen, you know, see what um, everyone else is picturing. I, you know, we've been reading this book so long and a Trolloc looks a certain way and name sounds a certain way and, you know, the landscape. And it's been really cool to, to see that come to life. And I have really enjoyed that. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had a couple issues, you know, so far, which is pretty obvious about some of the storyline and where it's going. But, you know, overall, you know, I've, I've, I've generally liked what I've seen so far and, and watched so far and, and so I'm hoping the second half is, you know, keeps on that path. Right. Yeah. So the last episode, episode four, ended up with uh, the Aes Sedai gentling Loghain due to um, him being a false dragon. He was proclaiming himself the dragon, thinking he was the real dragon reborn. But the Aes Sedai believe he was a false dragon, so they had to gentle him. And his army that he had uh, amassed and gathered to sweep across the, the land, attacked to try and free him. So there was this battle sequence at the end. And some I said I died, some warders um, felt the effects of that, or at least one warder, I guess, felt the effect of that. And we'll get into that more as this episode goes on, what happens there. And so the, it's this, the show starts out with a time of mourning due to this attack. Uh, I noticed that they were also burying 
the dead of the opposing army who attacked them. I, the king of Gildan was killed in the attack. And so um, he was given his respect and buried with the rest of them. Um, one thing I did like, I'm very big on the details, the small details. And one thing I noticed right off the bat is Moraine says, may the last embrace of the mother welcome you home when they bury uh, the Aes Sedai Karini. And I thought that was great. I love to see those little things that let us know that, hey, this is the wheel of time. This is the culture. This is the the atmosphere that, that we've read about in the books. Uh, yeah, um, definitely some good things uh, brought that up. I, I only found that interesting um, simply because that's like a borderlander saying, and she's not borderlander, right? <laughs> True. You know, and so I, I found that kind of interesting. I thought would have thought that would have been more of like a land line. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good. I thought there was some, you know, especially in this, this up, upcoming episode, there was some really gut wrenching parts, you know, they, they had some scenes that were, you know, hitting home to people and trying to connect with the, you know, the viewers. Yeah. Pretty some emotional sequences later on. So, and then from here, that's kind of the opening Hey, we're back. This is what happened. These are the fallout, you know, situation from the previous episode. And then it time jumps. We see the credits and everything. And then it time jumps to one month later. Um, so not a big jump, but uh, it does skip a lot of just the walking and the riding the horses, you know, a lot of not much happening, which I, I expected from the beginning that we would have something like this or periods where they were in this town and then, then five minutes later, they're hundreds of miles away. Cause you know, we don't want to see them just riding horses and talking all the time, but yeah, the group, um, these, this group, Moraine and Lan and the rest of the Aes Sedai are traveling to Tarvalon and they're coming up to it and getting ready to enter in and go to the white tower. And basically if you're familiar with the books, they skipped uh, a whole, I don't know, major plot point, at least in the first book, you know, they skipped Camelin and what happens there. And uh, when I first heard about this earlier, when they were kind of releasing tidbits of the show and we saw the trailer and stuff, I realized we weren't going to see Camelin in this first season. And I didn't really like that decision. I still, I mean, obviously it's fine, but I'm not a big fan of them just skipping it all together. But they did. So they're talking at Moraine and Land as they're approaching, they're talking about hopefully the, the rest of the other four Taviran are in Tarvalon already and they're going to find them. So and then they cut to Rand and Matt. They're also arriving to Tarvalon. Um, they left the Grinwell farm on horses when Tom was fighting the, the Fade. Uh, but here they're just walking with a group of people. And that was kind of in the book when they were going to Camelin. They were just these travelers and they were mixed in with the group so they wouldn't be found too easy. And they arrive, they start to come upon Tarvalin and Matt's just looking terrible. He's like all haggard and tired, which is very consistent with the, the story from um, Eye of the World. So that was good to see that, that influence as well. They come upon Tarvalin and they see the White Tower, but then Rand also sees Dragon Mount for the first time. And he's like, oh, I think I've seen that before. So some foreshadowing there. 
if you're if you are one of the people wondering well who is the dragon reborn because that's one mystery they tried to build up throughout the this first season perhaps for the new viewers um that was a hint that it was him so uh but i i thought that line was out of place because how would he have seen that before he was born on the slopes of dragon mount um but he was only there for a couple hours or maybe a day before his father took him and left. So I don't know where he's seen that before, or maybe it's a carryover from some of the memories from uh, loose Theron. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I don't know. So I thought that when I originally heard it, but loose Theron never would have seen it either. That's true. Right. Yeah. Because he, he, he made it when he killed himself right. and you know, sucking all that power. So I, yeah, same thing. The only thing I could figure is, and, and I have to go back and look and read, read the actual book on a couple of things, is that maybe in some of his dreams with Baalzaman, he's he like saw it in the background or something like that. Um, that that's the only thing I could think of because he shouldn't have seen like unless you you know like you said you know he was born as a baby and has you know some fleeting memory as a baby that nobody else in the entire world could ever have. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. I think they were trying too hard there. As as hard as they were trying not to let people know who the dragon reborn was, I think they tried too hard in this without line of dialogue. But um, so what did you think of Tarvalin for the when we saw it on screen for the first time? We saw it in the trailer, so we were kind of spoiled to it. But here in the sequence of the show, what did you think about it? Um, you know, at first, <laughs> in my mind, it was a little bit underwhelming. Right, because I have this idea of what the White Tower is. If you've read the White Book, you know, they've got this picture and it's just yeah. this enormous building and it's just so majestical and square and like this beacon of hope, you know, kind of thing. Like, and then when I saw it, I was like, that's it. Mm. You know, that's 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 Tarvalin, that that's it, you know, and kind of took the wind out of my sails. But you know, as I got reading, um, to compare it to, to buildings we have today. So in, in the white book, uh, there's this chapter actually called the white tower. It's um, it, it talks about it quite a bit. Um, I, I don't know what chapter nine is what it is called the formation of the white tower, but they talk about the white tower and they talk about its size and they say that it's, uh, it's 500 feet tall which is quite large, right? I mean, probably for their time. But for our time, to put that in perspective, like the two towers, you know, let's talk about those. Those were 13, you know, 1,300 feet tall, two and a half times. So I think that uh, I looked this up. The size of the building for 500 feet is the One America Plaza building in San Diego or the Telesis Tower in San Francisco, those are 500 foot, foot towers. So if, if you know those, what those towers look like, you know, those buildings look like, that's the size of building that you're seeing, you know? So I, you know, in my mind, I was thinking it was like bigger, Two towers than, yeah, bigger than the world trade centers, right? Like <laughs> yeah. this massive mess, but they're not, you know, they're 500 feet, which is still very, very big. I mean, in the nineties, it was one of the biggest, towers in the united states you know so it's you yeah. know still very big um so 
when I started reading that, it actually kind of brought me back like, okay, I can see that. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, I, okay, they, they did a good job. They did right. a good job here. And then as I was reading it some more, I realized, because I always assumed that everybody lived in the tower, right? All the library and all that stuff was in the tower. But the novices and accepted actually had their own building that was attached. It was oh, really? Yeah. And, I, and same thing, it's in this white book. And then the, the library, the big library they always talk about, same thing. It has its own book as well, or its own building as well. Hmm. And so then it started making sense like, oh, okay, now I can see that, you know, like it's, it's making sense. And their design, I was reading it and looking at the episode. I was like, okay, their design actually makes quite a bit of sense now. And, and I liked it more after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how many feet in a story? Like, you know, buildings have stories, right? Yeah, it depends on the building. So generally it's 11 to 14 feet is, you know, from our construction. Like, for example, the 500 foot building, the two 500 foot buildings that I described, mm-hmm. one has 38 floors, one has 34 floors. Okay. Right. So kind of gives you an idea. So, I mean, anywhere between 30, say mid thirties to 40 would be yeah. how many floors you have, which is a ton of floors. Right. And then, yeah. I mean, that's just above ground. I'm sure they have some kind of, you know, basement mm-hmm. area. Or something. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I do remember I'm, I'm currently reading new spring and it's obviously a lot about Moraine and Swan before they became Aes Sedai. And they do describe the tower there. They said, I think it was 500 spans, something like that. No, hundred spans tall and squat or thick kind of. So that description kind of matches the, what we saw on screen as well. I think the height doesn't match up, but the overall. A span is nine inches. Well, maybe it wasn't a span then. Yeah. It was a hundred something, but it wasn't feet. I don't know. But yeah. So anyway, that's the White Tower. We see it for the first time along with Rand and Matt. Uh, They walk into Tarvalin and we hear Matt, or no, we hear Rand utter the phrase blood and ashes for the first time in the series. And it's interesting that it comes from Rand and not Matt, but uh, <laughs> not Matt, right? Because it's a swear word, right? It's, yeah. it's swear. I, I have no idea, like what the equivalent to our language, like maybe "son of a bee" or something like that. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it's a, a phrase that means something bad, and so yeah. um, and so we always hear Matt say it because that guy curses more than anyone I've ever heard about. Yeah. yeah. So they they find their way to an end to an inn and uh, stay. I I think the name of the innkeeper is, is the it's Basil Gill, which is the guy from Camelin in the story. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the inn name is different. Um, but anyway, so they, they find their way there. And in the background, we see Pat and Fane. He's there watching. We hear him whistle. He's kind of lurking in the background watching them. So he's been following them since, uh, Shadar Logoth, apparently. And at this point, Rand and Matt think that Tom is dead, that he died fighting that fade. So that's their arrival to Tarvalin. Nynaeve is also with Lana Moraine. So we see them. Uh, they hide her in the warder's quarters so that the other Aes Sedai can't 
you know, grab her and make her a novice basically. Cause once they find out she can channel, um, then, you know, she's going to stay there because that's what they do. They find women that can channel and, and make them become Aes Sedai. And, you know, in the, in this episode on the next, they talk about how Nynaeve's the most powerful channelers in the past thousand years. So she's a, a hot commodity at this point, as far as I said, I and a woman who can channel. Oh yeah. Um, and, and she is, uh, that's pretty spot on from the book. She is more powerful than Cad Swain, which at this point is the most powerful I said, I that we know of. I don't even think they've talked about Cad Swain. Right. So, but she's more powerful than Swan Sanche. She's more powerful than Moiraine. Um, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So she's definitely the most powerful one we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, so Egwene and Perrin, they're, they're just about to arrive to Tarval and they, they're able to see they're with the Tinker still. They're able to look through the trees and see the tower just up ahead when they're stopped by the white cloaks and, um, Eamon Valda is there with his, his, his questioners. And he, as he's questioning them, like, Hey, where are you guys going? What are you guys doing? He sees Egwene and Perrin and he remembers from seeing them from before. And so he, he thinks that Egwene is a Aes Sedai and Perrin's her warder. So they, they chase him down. Aram, the tinker Aram tries to hide him, but he gets knocked down and they take Perrin and Egwene, capture him. And that happens in the book as well, but it's in a different location. It's earlier in the story. And they go to that. They make their way to the steading. The crows are chasing them. The ravens are chasing them. Mm-hmm. and they make it to the standing and they're safe but then the white cloaks show up there so um anyways uh so they're attacked there and taken prisoner uh but then it cuts back to rand and matt and here rand is he's in the library of, at the inn and he runs into loyal and we so we're introduced to loyal for the first time and loyal mistakes him for an aiel and he calls him an Aielman and Rand's like, I'm not an Aielman. So that's a, another hint as far as he's not who he uh, thinks he is and who the show is portraying him to be. So that's another hint about that. Uh, what did you think of Loyal and his, his appearance? Um, kind of how the, the, show, the show portrays him, the Ogier. Um, pretty terrible. Um, I love the voice of the guy, right? Like, I think that was the one thing that everyone across the board loved that I've read or heard about. Um, the look, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it says they look pretty close, you know, they're pretty close to humans. They're just big humans, but then there's a lot of like talking in the book where, you know, people mistake them for Trollocs. So they have, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's because people have a gross misunderstanding of what a, a Trolloc actually looks like, or they have a lot of, you know, Orgir have just these crazy features that we don't understand yet. I don't know. Um, but it, it also says in my trusty white book here. <laughs> the Bible. The, the, yes, the Bible. Um, that the average male is 10 feet tall. And Loyal is not 10 feet tall. He's like mm. 6'10". Yeah, <laughs> not much seven. taller than Rand. Yeah, and, and I read and everyone's like, well, it's because he was a boy and he wasn't grown. I'm like, yeah, he's like a couple years from being a, a man. You know, it's not like he's far off. Mm. You know, he's, he's pretty good size. He's, you know, he's not going to grow 
three feet, but then again, I don't know how fast old gear grow, but so I, I didn't like that very well. Just, I mean, throughout the book and explanation, he, he's the size of an old gear or of a, the size of a trollock. And so I didn't get that there. So that was kind of underwhelming, but I mean, really the, the voice wins it all. I mean, I, I could forgive everything else just because of the, the, whoever they picked to do the voice voiceover on that was amazing. Yeah. I think it's the same actor that portrays him. Um, yeah, I thought the mannerisms, the voice, the cadence, the tone was great. Um, just like you said, the appearance was, didn't seem true, seemed weird. And I didn't really notice these eyebrows that we read about in the book constantly. Maybe they're yeah. there, but, but they weren't prominent enough that I noticed it right off the bat. So, but yeah, so he's there, he, him and Rand become friends and the sequence is basically like it is in the story. They're just not in Camelin, they're in Tarvalin. Um, you know, Matt's sick, so Rand's looking for something to do and he runs into Loyal. Um, but then at this point, uh, the Aes the Sedai arrive and bring in Loghain through the, the city. And so Rand and, and Matt, they get a chance to, to see Loghain. And this part is pretty similar to the book, so I appreciated this and thought it was great that they bring him in. He looks up and sees Rand and Matt in this case. And he's like, oh, look at those guys. And uh, we later learned that Loghain can see people who he can see to Viren, right? Uh, he sees them and he he laughs and just like he does in the books. And people are throwing food at him and then he goes on his way. And then afterwards, Rand and Matt, they, they make a promise to each other that they won't let each other become the dragon, that they will kill the other person before that can happen. They're really worried about that. And at this point, the show's pushing towards Matt being the dragon because of the effects of the dagger. He's acting weird and he's got this darkness around him. So that's the direction they're going with the story. And then from there, we move on to the next part where we, we got Stepan, the warder of the Aes Sedai who was killed. He's, uh, he's suffering. He's having a hard time. We see this ceremony where they drop the Aes Sedai's ring into this big cauldron of molten metal and it melts becomes it goes back to just its natural state so that's something we didn't see in the book but i really i thought it was cool that how they handled that um and then we get the sequence where lan enters moraine's quarters it's like it's a really short sequence she come he comes in kneels at her feet and they kind of hold hands or you know that sort of thing and then no one says it says anything and then it's it's over i don't i was wondering you know, that stood out to me. And I was wondering what that was about. I don't, did you have any ideas about that? Like, what was that about? It was just kind know. of an intimate moment for some reason. Yeah. I mean, it could have been something like suffering in silence for the dead. You know, mm -hmm. who knows? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just such a weird thing. The whole thing's weird. The whole stepping and greeny burial whole thing with, with land is weird. Because everything in the book, everything that we read about Land Mandragore, he is not that guy. No. I mean, he, yes, I'm sure he understands death and death is sad. But he grew up in the borderlands. He's Malkieri. He, you know, nonstop, you know, death is lighter than a feather, feather you know, talks about duty. Uh, you know, he grew up in Sh Shinar. And Shinar. And they, and they're really like, you know, teach that, you know, to die with, you know, in battles, like an honor, you know, like it's yeah. you know, that's what you want to do. And, and 
here he is just mourning and mourning and mourning like it's the saddest thing. And there are the books. He, he's not that guy. And it just is so out of place for me. I have such a hard time connecting with it. And I'm sure to a watcher who's never read the book that they could see that they could be like, oh man, this guy is this pat compassionate guy and A, B, C, and D. And I hate to rain on that parade, but he is not that guy. And so it's just hard for me to get into. Yeah, it was jarring to see him like that. Um, and like you mentioned, they have that funeral with Step in there at the end because um, in between them arriving at the tower, Step in, he just can't get over it. They're talking about him bonding with Alana as her her new warder. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I <laughs> just, my last word, my, my last I said, I just died. I'm not, he wasn't in this emotional place to move on. And they seemed to be kind of pushing him towards that that resolution and he wasn't ready for it. And so him and Lan talked about it. They got together, they had some drinks and we're talking, you know, you know, should I do this and that sort of thing. And he's what he was doing. He was actually, he already had his plan in place. Um, he drugged Lan when they're put something in his drink that would make him sleep a lot sounder than he normally would. And then Lan wakes up the next morning He's disoriented. He's like, what's going on? He realizes a step in is gone. And he notices that a dagger that it was hanging on his wall is missing as well. So he runs off and finds him, finds him um, in the hallway with the dagger in his gut. And he's, he's dead. And the insinuation is that he committed suicide due to his grief. So, but I, I think that's the easy answer. I think they're like the thing with the dragon reborn. They're saying, Oh, you know, Matt's the dragon reborn and someone else could be the dragon reborn. They're doing this misdirection. I think they did that here with this scene. I could be wrong, but you know, he, when he was with land, he seemed to be kind of coming out of that despair that he was in. And then the next thing you know, he's dead. So I think something happened there, maybe a gray man or black Aja. I don't know. That's my speculation. What do you think? Is that far off? I could go with Black Aja just because in the books, in the New Spring, um, she's one of the searchers for... Um, Karini? Yeah, Karini is. Yeah. She's looking for the Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it makes sense that Moiraine wouldn't know that because um, what's her name? Open... I, I don't remember the the name of the uh, Amirlin seat that started the whole thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Tamra, Tamra? Yeah, Tamra, Tamra open spray or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, um, you know, so Moraine didn't know who all the searchers were. Right. And she was a searcher and she's actually killed by Black Aja. So it would make sense that Black Aja or Grey Man were involved trying to get information out of him that she may know something. Um, that would make sense. But... That's if people put that together, right? Maybe they just killed him to kill him. Who knows? Yeah, depends on how deep they want to go. Mm. I think if they want to go deep with it, they could go back to that Karini knew that Loghain was the a false dragon, that he deserved a trial because she knew he wasn't on the list or whatever. But uh, Leandrin didn't know about the list. And so she was just fo- so focused on he's the... False dragon, we got, we got to kill him. I don't know. You could go back that far, but I don't know if they will. So he's dead. And then they 
move on to the the funeral scene like you talked about where lan was just beside himself that his, his fellow warder and friend is dead which was out of place for me as well um but anyway back to kind of the the two rivers folk um matt is sick and he's he, you know he's under the effects full effect of the dagger at this point of mashadar uh, from the dagger and uh loyal found more rain or found naive in the tower which was kind of weird <laughs> just kind of uh naive's wandering the halls just because she's bored and she runs into leandrin and they talk and then next thing you know she's running she's out of the tower and running in with loyal to check on matt it was just like this it seems like there was a deleted scene there or something that we didn't get but anyway um naive comes up and matt he's aggressive towards her when she tries to touch him to see how he's doing and ran thinks that matt can channel at this point and he tells her that um so another um sequence where they're they're trying to show matt as the dragon and ran's worried about egwene but naive hasn't seen seen uh, her either and this i kept remember this is the first time that they're seeing naive since the two rivers um because they when they separated and shot our logos naive found uh moraine and land first and then went with them so they hadn't seen her for quite some time over a month and this is the first time they're seeing her um then with egwene and perrin they're trying to you know figure out how to escape the the white cloaks but vald is there and he has egwene tied to a chair uh perrin strapped down as well and he starts to torture Perrin to get uh, Egwene to channel so that he can, he tells her, if you can channel, I'll kill you and your friend will live. But if you can't, I'm going to kill your friend and then you can live. So he tries to make him force Egwene to, to admit she's Aes Sedai. And eventually she does. Um, as far as being able to channel, she admits that. She tries to stop him with a small fireball that doesn't work on him. But while he's torturing Perrin, he's cutting his back. And he's in a lot of pain and we see his eyes turn golden at this point due to the pain. And we hear wolves in the background and pretty similar to what we read about in the books, just in a different spot in the story. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with it or at least too big of a problem. I don't know. What do you think about this parent Egwene white cloak scene as far as portrayed in the show? Um, it was good. Yeah. Like overall for what it was, what it was, I think it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I just don't like is I, I don't know what they're trying to do with you and Valda. I don't know what their intentions are, exactly who they're trying to combine. It seems like they're trying to combine Radama Sunua. Um, he is kind of like in charge of the, um, the, high Inqui- the, the High Inquisitor. You know, he's in charge of the Inquisitors. They're kind of an offshoot group of the Children of Light. They, they're all you know, part of the children, but they're like a fanatic group inside that group. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't really know what they're doing with him because his rank is all wrong. What he would be doing is all wrong. Um, I, I don't know. So anyways, it'll be interesting to see what they, they have for him going forward. I just know as of right now, I have a hard time 
wrapping my head what they're what they're actually doing with him. I think he's a cool character, right? I mm. think he brings some some interview to the table. I'm like, man, these children are light. They're crazy. They're scary. And that's kind of what they are. They're these crazy fanatics. And you know, they hate people that can channel and you can sense that as you watch this guy. And so I think that he does a good job showing who the children are, but just his specific character throws me off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I thought it was good. Uh, the wolves attack the, the camp as, as uh, the torture gets more intense and they're able to, parents are able to break the bonds and uh, they stab even Valda and are able to take off. Once they leave the tent, the wolves are just going crazy with all the white cloaks attacking him and biting him and dragging him off into the, the bushes to eat him or something. I don't know. <laughs> they're pretty, pretty aggressive, pretty rabid wolves. So, and they come upon one, one of the wolves. I'm assuming it's Hopper. Um, uh, they haven't given any names to the wolves yet. So uh, one wolf comes up to him and it seems like Perrin's talking to him or at least communicating with him somehow. And Hopper or this wolf just runs off, lets them be and they're able to escape. And eventually they make it to the tower as well. Yeah, so everyone's arrived to Tarvalin at this point. I think that was the purpose of this episode was to bring everybody back and get them back together. In the books, it was Camelin. In the show, it's Tarvalin. And a lot of the similar events happened. You know, some touch points, the Grinwell farm, the White Cloaks, uh, capturing Perrin and Egwene, introduction to the Tinkers. Uh, I think the, the biggest deviation was Loghain and the Aes Sedai capturing him. Well, which they did in this, the book, but uh, Moraine and Lan being a part of that whole sequence with Nynaeve was the one part that was just not, that was made up basically for the show. So the next episode is, so from there we, we lead on, we lead into the, the next one. So the next episode is episode six, The Flame of Tarvalin, where we'll get into what happens next with our heroes. They've all arrived at Tarvalin and are trying to reunite and figure out what to do next. Uh, Moraine has her plan that she is following for these these kids. And we'll find out a little bit more about who's the Dragon Reborn and who isn't. So that big mystery, if you don't know by now, will start to unravel or start to unfold, I guess. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll learn more about um, Swan Sanche. Um, we'll get into that and as well as Moraine and Swan's relationship as it stands at this point in the saga, in the this, in this story. But we want to thank you guys for sticking around, listening to this episode, and check out our previous episodes, as well as our other non-Wheel of Time show review series where we talk about the book and different concepts like the Aes Sedai, the White Cloaks, Tarangriel, Sangriel, those type of things. So Go back and listen to those episodes. Let us know what you think. Follow us on social media if you're not already. Let us know what you think about the show. If you have any questions or feedback for us, just uh, tweet us at or- at Forth Tavirin and we'll respond and talk with you about it. So once again, thank you guys. And hopefully we'll, we'll catch you next time and may you find water and shade. Mm-hmm.